104.5 The Zone. In Nashville, Tennessee, pal, I'm the man. This is Squared Circle Radio. Welcome to the Kevin Owens Show. The latest news and commentary on the world of professional wrestling. They make sure you ain't booty. And now... Squared Circle Radio. The face that runs the place. With your main eventers, Jason Martin, David Reed, and Brandon Haggerty. Good Sunday morning to you. Busy Sunday morning to you. Squared Circle Radio here on 104.5 The Zone. We talk pro wrestling. We do it every Sunday morning. We've done it for five and a half years and counting. And by we, pronouns, pal. I mean, Brandon Hagney, I mean, David Reed, who hopefully will be back next week, still convalescing. But I, last I heard, I thought he was coming back, potentially. Sounds like he'll be on the midday 180 this week. Yes. So at least at least that, and that's good news. And I'm Jason Martin. We're on Twitter, at Zone Wrestling. You can follow us there. There are some weeks when you go live and you're, you're, you know you're going to fill it. You're not exactly sure with what. And then there's this week. Where we could do, I don't know, NBA free agency today. They're going to do a five-hour special on ESPN for the jump. Rachel Nichols is hosting five straight hours. I'm sure Woj is going to be on there uh, basically saying nothing. Campaigning for Kawhi Leonard to go to the Clippers, which is what he's been doing for weeks. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about that just, I mean, you've got Kimball Walker and you've got Kyrie Irving, and that news is already out there. I think that's probably the biggest news that you're going to get today. Sure. Kyrie's or uh, Kevin Durant, that ain't going to happen today. Kawhi ain't going to happen today either. So you're going to have like a whole lot of speculation with like Bobby Marks and Adrian Wojnarowski and just a fleet of people trying to tell you what might happen. But hey, at least it's going to be interesting. Pro wrestling got real interesting this week for a number of different reasons. Last night was AEW Fighter Fest, and there were some positives and some negatives about that show. And we will delve into that to be sure. Stomping Grounds was what exactly we said it was going to be last week, Brandon. We For said, about two-thirds of the show. Yeah, we said that there were probably going to be some good matches on that show. It would overperform expectations that were dreadfully low. And that we'd all turn out and say, yeah, it was a pretty good show. And it basically was until it got all sports entertaining at the and, end and then Seth Rollins took a one a week long oh, victory lap on social media yeah and we will talk about that as well but i think we have to start with the new executive directors of raw and smackdown namely paul heyman and eric bischoff you know the complaints that vince is booking himself and his company into oblivion because he still believes it's 1985 now he must believe it's 1995 or 1997 because he brought back the two biggest threats during the explosion that led that his company went through with Bischoff and WCW and Paul Heyman with the ECW. But he's still there. And that's where I just continue to say, I don't know that this means much of anything. You bring in these two guys. I don't know what Bischoff offers you now. I heard Bruce Mitchell, the PW Torch, and I've thought this myself listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, the Comrade Thompson podcast, that Bischoff didn't know a whole lot even then. He wasn't paying attention to the business. He would watch a show and they would move on to the next one. 
didn't go back and reflect, didn't watch the competition. And then when he talks about pro wrestling as a philosophy and describes what the business should be, he's like dead wrong and he's antiquated, completely out of touch. He still wants Ernest Miller out there and stuff like this. What it, when was WCW's last successful year? 97, 97 was a great year, and 98 was when they made their most money, but 98 is also when it fell when, off a cliff when Goldberg lost in December. Yeah, 98 was also the year that WWE passed them. Yeah, that was when Austin McMahon really took off. I think they beat him in May in the ratings, and then it kind of went from there. Well, like truly their most, their last truly successful year. Yeah, they made a lot of money in 98 because everybody in professional wrestling made a lot of money in 98. But the last time they actually kind of kicked the pants off of WWE was 97. That's 22 years ago. Yeah, it's been a minute. That's 22 years ago. And you and I were talking about this in a text chain uh, earlier this week. And I had completely forgot about this because I, I said, you know, what does Bischoff bring you in 2019? The guy hasn't run a, a wrestling program for almost 20 years now. Well, no, he did run a wrestling program <laughs> Uh, just about a decade ago, when him and Hulk Hogan went over to TNA, that thing was a disaster. So was when Bischoff came back and teamed up with Russo. And that's the comparison here. If you recall, you may not because you might you might have been lucky enough not to be watching this. But when WCW went down the tubes in 99, in 2000, the the deal they like they decided they basically just like all right cut new scene we're gonna do this over again and they had Bischoff and Russo together come out there and say yeah we know that the television's been terrible but we're cutting everything that's been written before we're starting again these are the two masterminds of pro wrestling that basically one of them made Vince McMahon and the other one almost killed Vince McMahon. And so we're putting them in charge, and everything's about to get good. We know it's been bad over the past handful of months. That's kind of what this feels like. That's, that's basically what WWE did in January. Exactly. And so Heyman's going to be Raw. Bischoff's going to be SmackDown. And the question that you asked in that text chain, and I'm still trying to figure out the proper answer to this, is what does Eric Bischoff offer you in 2019? One thing. And this isn't necessarily a good thing, is that Bischoff is used to talking to powerful television executives because he had to deal with the bureaucracy that was the people underneath Ted Turner. And he was the executive producer of Hogan Knows Best. <laughs> All right, roll shape, roll tape. <laughs> I'm going home. So he could speak to Fox. But if I'm Fox, Can't I don't want to do that. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If I'm Fox, I'm like, I don't need the dude that lost, that tanked a company that had a couple of good ideas and then sort of let it all completely go off the rails. I made a deal with Vince McMahon. And if I'm Fox, I probably believe Vince is the only one who knows anything about pro wrestling. Has, Most has, people do in television. That's what they Vince think. Vince McMahon and, and Kevin Dunn and pretty much everybody that's uh, in the higher-ups of WWE, don't they have just as much, if not more, experience of talking to network yeah, executives but I think the whole, Bischoff Yeah, does? but I think the whole point is Vince doesn't want to do that. I get the feeling Vince has probably had enough of that side of it, plus he's got the XFL. And so Bischoff can go in and be sort of the middleman. Heyman, on the other hand, Heyman needles everybody he's ever been around because that's just his personality. Now, 
we know what he's capable of doing from a writing perspective. We've seen that before. However, and I know it was more than 15 years ago now at this point, but he is sort of responsible for uh, the most critically acclaimed period of SmackDown. Yeah, and some of that's overrated in terms of how much credit he got. But the one thing he's never been particularly good at is being the leader of a large group. Like, yeah, ECW worked for a time, but it was a disaster from a business perspective. It was a disaster from a structural organizational perspective. From a story perspective, it's fine. So I don't know how much control they have because ultimately it's still Vince. Until Vince is out of that chair, they're all answering to him. And if they're answering to him, isn't that what the writers have talked about for years? The ones that have come out and said, look, we would spend all this time writing this stuff and then Vince would just say no and we would just keep on keep on trucking with what he had well that's not the i mean those are the answers that we don't have we don't know a lot of stuff about this like we imagine that it's still going to be vince that's going to give the final say on pretty much everything like he's been doing for 40 years now but i mean if he is looking to maybe take a bit of a step back because he's about to focus his efforts on the xfl this could possibly end up being a good thing. I'm just not at all expecting that to be the case. Do you think these guys, maybe not as much Heyman, even though I guess maybe tomorrow Heyman, but do you feel like they're television characters? Do you feel like Bischoff writes himself into the into the show because that's more of what he does in terms of being a showman than being somebody that's behind the scenes? I would think they almost have to, and quite frankly – it wouldn't be a bad idea because it's I know it's a formula that we've only had for about 20 years, but it's a formula that's been working for 20 years. Like, I can't imagine wrestling right now without on-screen authority figures. Ugh. And we're kind of doing it right now where Shane McMahon is the de facto authority figure on both brands, and it's not working. The other thought about this is the timing of it is intriguing because they set up the two main events for extreme rules on TV already. And now they're bringing in new executive directors that are supposed to be refreshing and change everything. So does that mean the next couple of weeks are total lame duck because we're going to get through this and then everything's going to shift. Wouldn't it have made more sense? And I think this proves how desperate this move actually was. Weren't the next couple of weeks uh, lame duck anyways because WWE decided to keep Becky Lynch with Lacey Evans and decided to keep Baron Corbin with Seth Rollins? What I'm saying is if I'm Heyman or if I'm Bischoff in this state, I don't want any part of this. I would rather show up. I would rather this announcement be made that Monday to open Raw you bring out Paul Heyman, you bring out Bischoff, and you have Vince do it, and then you say, these are the new executive directors, they're the guys in charge, and then you drop that press release, and then you let their first run-up, their first big event, their first big show, be the television and the run-up to SummerSlam, as opposed to an Extreme Rules where they're already semi-castrated because of what's already booked. I agree with that. Speaking of what's already booked, Mixed tag, baby. Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans versus Seth Rollins, the most popular guy in pro wrestling right now, and Becky Lynch. And let me tell you something. I watched that segment Monday night that opened Raw, 
Could that have possibly been lazier in how to set that up? Like, I actually thought Becky and Seth were good together. Like, that worked pretty well. But the way that Baron and Lacey asked for, received the match, and then the stipulation was, both belts are on the line. That was, like, it. Yeah, um... I don't know why. Like, why are we doing this? Because Vince loves these two people. Like, why can't we just move on? I mean, you did it on like, SmackDown. I, I, you gave us Samoa Joe and Kofi, and thank you for that. Well, yeah, you teased that on Monday. Yeah, when Samoa Joe uh, and then you gave then, well, but Dolph Ziggler popped back in too. Exactly. Well, one more time. That, that's exactly what I was about to say. One more we, time. We got baby. one more Dolph Ziggler Kofi Kingston match on Tuesday for for. Uh, for finality, I and guess. it went exactly the way it should have gone with Dolph Ziggler losing. By the way, I think Kofi Kingston now—he's won a lot. He's twenty-one and yes. zero since winning that championship. Yeah. He's won his last like forty-eight matches, I think, if you include house shows. That's Not good bad. stuff. WWE, way to go! Keep but doing you- that. Build, build champion strong. What a novel concept. Yeah. So we'll take a break here, and we'll come back. I actually want to. There was one discussion that I heard this week. About and it was actually a fan that posited what Samoa Joe is and what the problem with Samoa Joe is as it relates to WWE. It has nothing to do with Joe. It has to do with the way he's booked. And that this feud might not change that. It might actually make it worse. Also, where was Bray Wyatt this week? He's disappeared. You know, we saw now, his puppets, Yes, though. yes. His, his puppets were behind other people in weird spots. They escaped the funhouse. Did you see the AJ Styles promo Monday? This just came to me. The one in the back where Charlie Caruso cut him off after asking a question that he tried to answer. And like four seconds later, she was just like, oh, I know we care about your rehab. We'll talk about that another time. With but all she, due had respect, just, she had just asked about his rehab. With all due respect, AJ, I don't want to hear about your rehab. What is happening here? We're going to take a break. Why, why is Charlie Caruso like Jim Rome versus Chris Everett right now? <laughs> Chris, you call me that. One more. We, we'll get the audio. We got Seth Rollins on Twitter against Will Ospreay and against the rest of the world. It, it's, it's quite a week, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be right back. Squared Circle Radio, 104.5 The Zone. I'm back, and I'm better than ever. Got a neck for making things better. Face facts, because your opinion don't matter. Eric Bischoff's lo- back. I am looking forward to this theme being on weekly again. This look, is a Bish- look, I'll tell you one thing about Bischoff. Bischoff's good on TV. Like, as a general manager, like, in that role, he's good. He'll be good on TV. I just don't know what else he's going to do. This is Squared Circle Radio. We talk pro wrestling on this show. That's on wrestling on Twitter. A lot of pointing to the cameras. A lot of smiling. A lot of smiling. Lot of Maybe of motorcycle riding. Maybe he can wear he maybe he can borrow one of Triple H's trikes and Bobby's world himself right on down to the ring. I kind of thought uh Cody Rhodes was going to escalate the war last night and like ride a you know Bobby's world tricycle down to the ring. No dice. He's too no busy dice. bleeding. He just he just has a uh, t-shirt that says throne breaker. Yeah, there you go. We'll talk about Fighter Fest here in a bit. So this is the comparison that Joe is Kind of getting now. So Joe comes out Monday and he attacks Kofi and he puts the coquina clutch on him on the rampway. And you're like, awesome. Joe and Kofi. 
course, Joe lost the night before, lost that title, and then immediately popped up. But well, yeah, whatever. I mean, Dolph Ziggler showed up out of nowhere and got a championship shot. So Joe's totally relevant here. Multiple championship but shots. Joe, according to this fan, and I heard this fan say this, and I, I, it's hard to deny this. And this is sad. Joe is the new Bray Wyatt. Bray was a guy that would attack people and then lose in the feuds. He would look dominant and lose every single time. And so every time it would just kind of be like, well, he's a high-end jobber when it comes down to it. Joe's probably not going to beat Kofi for the championship. If he did, I don't think the whole world would be upset because they like Joe. They know how talented Joe is. Here's what we know. Joe's promos in the lead-up to this thing will be very good. The match itself will be very good. But if history is a guide... He'll lose, and then he'll just move right along. Uh, like Samoa Joe, he's Kane. His that's a, that's a that's a good comparison, actually. Uh, the way we take him seriously as a challenger uh, to championships, the way we as fans we view Samoa Joe as a legitimate challenger to pretty much any championship in WWE, that was built over the past fifteen years. Oh yeah, and that was built in NXT. Yes. That has not been built no. at all. The way WWE has presented him on television since his main roster call-up, it's not been built there. It's it's ingrained in, my, in our minds because we've seen Samoa Joe wrestle for 15 years. I mean, you remember Bray Wyatt had some big feuds early. John Cena at WrestleMania, and I always believed that Bray should have won that match. Dean Ambrose, oh. Had that flashbacks to all of the stuff that they did during that program. Moxley uh, attacked uh, Kenny Omega with a television last night, but he remembered to unplug it. Well, thanks for that. Bray also had um, The Undertaker at WrestleMania. I mean, he had some big-time feuds, but he lost every single one of them. When it was the Wyatts against the Shield, he lost. Joe actually needs to have a... That was the one thing about Joe and Ricochet, which I really enjoyed last Sunday, was, man, imagine this if Joe had won every match for nine months in a row and had plowed through a bunch of challengers and they had slowly built Ricochet to be one of the top three baby faces, and then we got this at the Royal Rumble or we got this at WrestleMania when both of them were over-relevant and had been invested in by the company, how much bigger it could have been. Even so, I think that they did a really nice job with it. They only had 13 minutes, but they made the most of those 13 minutes, and I greatly enjoyed that match. But it's hard for me. I don't really want to see Kofi lose it right now because I'm enjoying this run. But I kind of want to see Joe actually win a feud. Yeah, I think I tweeted out on Monday that it's almost a bit of a win-win a little bit because if Kofi wins this feud and Kofi retains the championship it almost sort of solidifies this as a really good championship run like to this point yeah he beat Kevin Owens at money in the bank you know he beat Daniel Bryan obviously to win the championship but beating Dolph Ziggler multiple times doesn't really do much for anybody in 2019 but if he were to actually get over on Samoa Joe during this feud I think that goes a long way to solidifying this run these Flip side of that is Samoa Joe becomes WWE champion, and every and yeah, and I'm not going to say everybody, but the majority of the audience, at least the majority of our listening audience, would be totally down for that. Yeah, and if that happened, 
you'd want to see him hold it for a while, though. Yeah. He would be a heel that you could buy into holding it for a while. I would hope that they would, you know, allow that kind of thing to happen. So I guess it's time to talk about Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins, who from reports is very in your face in the back to management and stuff on things he disagrees with, tries to ad lib in promos and takes the takes the flack for it and stuff. He's sort of the anti Roman Reigns when it comes to standing up for himself and for what he believes in. But last week, there's no other way to describe this other than he came across like a shill. There's just nothing. I mean, there's nothing else to say. He talked about how the best wrestling in the world was in WWE. He said that before stomping grounds, and he's trying to defend his company. I get that. You know, you always want to say that you, the place that you're at is the best place in the world, especially when you're in the entertainment business. I already believe that about 104.5 The Zone, but if I didn't believe it, I'd still probably say it, or somebody would. I try to be. A, I try to hold a little bit of integrity, so I probably just wouldn't tweet anything. But there were there would be people that would say it because. It's a rah-rah deal. The stuff he said about Osprey, about Will Osprey, who's probably having the best year of anybody in pro wrestling right now, is just nonsense. And I think it went, a, it went a long way to prove that Seth Rollins doesn't know anything about Will Osprey and hasn't watched him. And I always thought Seth would be more of a student of the game. The problem with Seth and his kind of attacks and his WWE is the only place where you can do all this kind of stuff is that He's taking shots at places he came from. Like, how is he taking shots at dudes that were working on independence or if you don't work at WWE, you were nothing? Well, what was Tyler Black then? Like, that's where you came from. That's where most of the people you know in the wrestling industry and WWE came from. Was it at Stomping Grounds? I think there were two guys on that entire card that did not come through developmental that weren't signed through independence before that point. So when you look at all of the things that he's saying, if any of it was not fed to him, it has to be because he knows he's sort of the torchbearer right now. He's He wants to be the guy. He's the champion. And the company is doing all-time horrible ratings. And so there is some level of almost overcompensation because he can't stand the fact that he's presiding over such a failure. On one hand, I can understand defending the place that you work. Like, the the criticism of WWE has come from all sides over the last few months and has been relentless. A lot of it earned. Mm -hmm. A lot, quite frankly, a lot of it deserved. And that's, that's the thing. When you call WWE the best professional wrestling in the world, if you're talking about the in-ring product... It's not even close. That's the thing. Like, How many times have we said on this program that this is the most talented in-ring roster that WWE has ever employed? The people up and down this roster, if given an opportunity, can go out there bell to bell and tear the house down. So the fact that stomping grounds, at least the first two-thirds of that show, far exceeded everybody's expectations is quite frankly not a surprise. And you know why they did that? Clean finishes, clean finishes, and just let those guys go out and work. Exactly. It's not a surprise at all because everyone that watches this product from week to week 
understands the talent level that these men and women have. But it's everything else Mm -hmm. is what people are criticizing about WWE. It's the fact that Seth Rollins goes on Twitter on Sunday and says, best professional wrestling in the world, period. And the very next night, WWE runs a tug of war between uh, Bobby Lashley and Strowman. That's why people criticize WWE. It's so, not the in-ring product. We know you guys can go. If you're get, if everybody on this roster is given 12 minutes, 12 to 15 minutes, we know you're going to be able to put on something pretty close to special. Now, they're going to put a formula around it, and that's going to bring it down a notch. I think that some of the things that people say about WWE's in-ring product are insane. Probably... The thing that made me roll my eyes the most, I think we might have to talk about this when we talk about AEW as well, is I don't know if I can listen to the Wrestling Observer talk about AEW because I feel like they're too close to it. But I also think Meltzer has a real affinity for New Japan that sometimes goes a little bit too far. In that this week, he said that Yuji Nagata is better than AJ and Daniel Bryan and all of these guys. And that Yuji, even at his age right now, he would take in any match over those guys. He also it's just said like you've lost your mind. He's he, fifty-two. I know he's really good, but come on. He also said Seth Rollins would be somewhere around eighth in terms of in-ring ability if he was in New Japan. Yeah, and I, it's it's difficult because I don't know that we've seen what Seth actually is because Seth is working a very formulaic style these days. He just is, and that's because that's what WWE requests of him. We're gonna take a break. We're not done here because the thing that probably bothered the most people, I don't think it was the Osprey stuff. Osprey killed him, by the way, on Twitter. Like the stuff Osprey said back to him was absolutely unbelievable. But what Osprey said to Baron Corbin was the funniest thing that I saw all week because Seth talked about how many matches he had worked and how it was like, you can't do this to the level I do it at as many times as I do it, and Osprey had worked more matches this year than him. Well, Baron Corbin had worked more matches than Osprey, and so Baron Corbin tweeted to Will Osprey, he's like, "Dude, I've worked sixty-eight matches this year," and Osprey's response was, "No wonder the ratings suck." Be right back. Squared Circle Radio, one zero four five, the Zone. <laughs> Welcome back to Squared Circle Radio here on 104.5 The Zone. Is this a banger or not? I've heard some people say, if only this music was given to somebody good, this music's great. I don't know if I agree. I've heard worse. Also, you can't dress like a bartender and also come from hell and pull people under. Like, if you're... Wearing pieces of flair at Bennigan's. That's not going to work. This is Squared Circle Radio. We're on Twitter, at Zone Wrestling. Brandon Hackney's at Hack Haney. I'm at Jmart Zone. David Reed's at David Reed Radio. Hopefully back next week. So this is the part of, of the Rollins stuff that may have bothered more people. Quote, Ambrose can do what he wants. He's a big boy. He's got his big boy pants on. He can go out there and say whatever he wants, but the bottom line is not everybody's equipped to handle the rigors of WWE and the schedule and how it affects you mentally and emotionally. 
and Ambrose gave everything he had to the company for the entire time he was here. He put his heart and soul into the travel, into the schedule, into the injuries, into the work in the ring and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, he took his ball and he went home, or he went elsewhere at least. And I think it's a little presumptuous of him to get on a podcast and talk down about the company that gave him such an opportunity, unquote. First off, Seth, well, first off, the the rumor is, the speculation is, Vince told him to do this and told him exactly what to say because took his ball and went home is a Vince McMahon phrase that's for quitter. Stone, that's Stone Cold Steve Austin when he walked out when they told him he was going to lose to Brock Lesnar on a random episode of that was That was Jim Ross on WWE Confidential. Remember that? He goes, he took his ball and we went home. You don't go home. You stick around with the company. You took your ball and went home. But let me tell you what taking your ball and going home is not. Finishing out your contract, deciding not to resign, and going somewhere else. It's not like he went home. He didn't Sasha Banks this thing. Based on what we're hearing, he didn't Rusev this thing. He didn't Luke Harper this thing. He stuck through the entire deal. Well, Luke Harper's not really his fault. He wanted to come back. I know. Fulfilled his obligations, and then he went elsewhere. He said no when they tried to resign him. That's not taking your ball and going home. He fulfilled his contractual obligations. Yes, to the very end. And just it's just sort of a an ugly look. Quote, and like I said, I love the guy. I love him. I'll always love him, but at the end of the day, we just share different perspectives about what we want out of life and about where we're at in our own lives. I hope that he does well. I've kept enough tabs on him to know that he's doing super well for himself right now, and I'm happy for that but I just don't think there's any reason to hop on a soapbox and complain after the fact. You need to take the first step, and that's looking in the mirror and asking yourself, did you do every single thing you possibly could do to make yourself and your situation what you want it to be? And if the answer is yes, you did, then you can go elsewhere and complain. He says a few things past that. If that's where he's at mentally, then go right ahead. But if he hasn't done that, he hasn't looked in the mirror and made that decision, then maybe he should think about that. That goes for any other disgruntled talent, past or present. I don't think Dean Ambrose didn't do everything that he wanted to do. And the thing is, was Moxley on those podcasts? Would you characterize that as complaining? No, I mean, it or was is just it more telling just the like, story. It's like, hey, man, here's here's how it happens back there. You want to see how the sausage is made? Here's how the sausage is made. And this is why I decided I would just try something else. We just share different perspectives about what we want out of life and about where we're at in our own lives. He met his wife. He made money. But that Brock Lesnar story alone is enough for me me to want to leave if I were him in that case. Even if I don't agree with all the things that he wanted to do that Brock didn't want to do. He also opened up that Talk is Jericho episode by talking about how thankful and how much he appreciates everything that WWE did for him. He said he... You know, obviously met his wife through WWE, and if that's the only thing that came from it, then it was a success. Absolutely. I mean, this was not CM Punk on the art of wrestling. This was much more just, this is the way things work. I'm going to tell you this because I can. I'm going to tell you from my perspective. I'm going to explain, I guess, why it was time for me to move on, and that's it. I just... I don't feel like Seth Rollins just goes out here and does this without somebody telling him to because it's a terrible look for Seth because he and Dean were certainly linked together along with Roman Reigns for such a long period of time. 
that it just seems like bad form to go after Moxley. The only reason you would do so is because you're getting orders from on high. And so much of this feels like a Vince McMahon creation of Seth Rollins this week. Tone deaf to everything that's happening in the pro wrestling world. WWE is the only thing that matters. There is no other organization. If you're not there, you're nowhere. As if WWE is the only place that is relevant. When New Japan is still on fire and G1's about to start. And AEW's the first, I mean, the biggest threat that they've had this century, basically. And they're probably a little frightened by it. They're a little spooked by it. This is just... And the problem with this, and this is what I sent you a couple of days ago, Seth Rollins' biggest allies are the hardcore fans that love watching him work. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that he ticked off this week with the stuff he said, right? Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He went after a lot of people they like. Like, they do like Moxley, but he got into a fight with Will Ospreay, I mean, who Will then sold a bunch of T-shirts. Will Ospreay is not exactly my cup of tea a lot of the time, but I know that he is a, a guy that's making a huge name for himself over in Japan who is dedicating himself to Japan by moving to Japan, by learning the language. He seems all in on becoming a top guy over in Japan. So you, all you have to do, like, I don't see how you can criticize that guy because that guy works just as hard as you. Right. And even so, I don't know why you're going after anybody and saying they're lazy in pro wrestling. Like, I don't think that that's going to, that's not going to endear you to anything else. Now, Rollins saying that he's proud of WWE. Quote, you can always sit back and read people bash something you love for so long and just take it, unquote, and all this kind of stuff and talk about the product's pretty darn good. Remember the uh, the triple threat match that opened Stomping Grounds, the cruiserweight match in the pre-show he tweeted out right after he goes you see that case in point right there like nobody else could have had that match i like that match it was very good i've seen a whole lot of cruiserweight matches that are better or as good top to bottom shows i've seen that are basically the same as what we saw on there but i mean at the same time but i get him wanting to defend that and saying hey that was really good wrestling i hope it, you saw it because it was really it good was. wrestling and it's something that the cruiserweight division pretty much delivers on every single pay-per-view it's also why it's a running joke why those guys are on every pre-show yeah and wwe has basically banished them to a show on tuesday nights at 10 p.m. central or 10 p.m. eastern on the wwe network that the majority of the audience i'm going to go ahead and Go out on a limb here. Don't watch. Like you're the re like WWE is the reason why these cruiserweights aren't a bigger deal. So Seth Rollins to go on Twitter and say, "You see, see what they can do. See what they can do. Yeah, we know what they yeah, can do." Yeah, why don't you go tell that to the boss? Why don't you about, go tell yeah. it? Walk down the hall. How about you go to Gorilla and say, "Hey, how about we put these guys in a bigger, bigger spotlight?" Then tap them on the back and say, "Thanks for not putting them in purple ropes anymore. Now can we actually make them feel like they're part of the show?" When we come back, a show from last night, AEW Fighter Fest. There was a lot of good on that show. There was some that was not so good as well. There's still some question marks about AEW, and we still don't know what it looks like when they have weekly television. But we'll tell you what Fighter Fest was and what that came across like next. Squared Circle Radio, 104.5 The Zone. Final segment of the program, Square Circle Radio 104.5 The Zone. The coach, Doug Matthews, Big Orange Sunday coming up next. Talking all things Vols, closer and closer to college football. AEW Fighter Fest was last night. 
I guess on the pre-show they sort of did this deal where it was like the fire fest with yeah, that, ja Rule and that just, was the whole thing behind yeah. it that Kenny Omega had been put in charge of the promotion of this thing and basically backstage it was supposed to be a disaster yeah and so that's sort of funny except that AEW is so new that there is some there's just some criticism that not yet guys like still try to go out there and kill it continuously and don't be too cute with the things that you're doing like the librarian skit during the pre-show. Yeah, so, okay, the the pre-show, the buy-in, as they're calling it, which worked for all-in and worked for double or nothing. I'm not real sure it works past that. But if that's the name you're going to go with your pre-show, I guess that's fine. But uh, it starts with a triple threat tag team match that was, that was pretty good. Um, I guess the winner got a spot at All Out. That was the best friends and yeah, the SoCal be- Uncensored. SoCal and Uncensored and Private Party. Private Party, yeah. Which was a team that I had literally never heard of before last night. Heard, never, they were, heard they were good. Never laid eyes on those two dudes before last night. But yeah, they had some legitimately impressive stuff. Like, you know, they had some spots. You know, they they sort of seemed like spot guys. Um, not a lot of selling from those two dudes. It seemed like they floated from spot to spot. But a lot of it was legitimately impressive, pretty phenomenal stuff. So they got off to a really good start with that uh, triple threat tag team match. And then the librarians came out. Uh, Leva Bates, the former Blue Pants in NXT, and whatever that other dude's name is. Both of them working the same gimmick, which is awful. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be honest. Like, we talk about it all the time. Sometimes, as a professional wrestling fan, you are embarrassed to be a professional wrestling fan. Yep. There are things that come on your television if you're watching professional wrestling that if somebody were to walk into that room who had no idea what was on the television, you would not want them to see that. Yes. The librarians is one of those things. Mm. The librarians have now been on two AEW pre-shows, and they have been an embarrassment twice. Like that, This is a gimmick that does not need to continue. If you want Leva Bates to be some sort of... Um, presence in your women's roster, that's that's fine. I mean, she's she's good enough, I guess, to do that. But this gimmick, glowing praise. This gimmick is 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 nothing. Like this gimmick is a huge strikeout. Like, I you can't at this point. Like don't continue this thing. And then that turns into after that match between Allie and Leva Bates, you have a hardcore match, and I'm gonna use hardcore with. Um, air quotes here, because mm. it wasn't really a hardcore match. Michael Nakazawa mm-hmm. and the CEO of CEO Gaming, who was sort of co-promoting this show with All Elite. A guy who was not a wrestler, a guy who has no business being in a professional wrestling ring, did a suplex spot and dropped Michael Nakazawa on his head. Oh, no. This dude had, has no business being in between the ropes. But this match had... A lot of baby oil and inflatables, and they're doing, they're doing bumps on like you know those candidate p- political candidate buttons yeah. that you get. Like they're doing, they're doing bumps on those, and it's just why like two thirds of that buy-in pre-show was an embarrassment. Why last are we night. doing a bunch of stupid stuff when we're this new? If we're AEW, like the thing is, the, Jim Ross doesn't call these pre-shows. So is that why you're doing all this dumb comedy crap on the pre-show? Because Jim Ross is like, you're going to do that. You keep it on the pre-show. 
just I don't see the advantage. That There's doesn't no reflect the it. product, and that's not why anybody's watching. You're not gonna you're not gonna hook in a casual fan. Like I know last night was free, so let's you know maybe bump back the criticism a little bit. All but right, like, so we're watching Sunday Night Heat. Like that's the thing. Like if you're trying to maybe hook into, like I I feel like that's what a pre-show should be. If you're gonna charge fifty bucks for a pay-per-view, like they will for All Out and in, and in, in, on Labor Day weekend, that buy-in pre-show is your last chance to sort of hook in anybody who was on the fence about buying the card. And I ain't buying the card based on the freaking librarian. Yeah, just, I mean, all the comedy and nonsensical stuff, when you have all of the talent that you have on that main card, I would rather they go back to the old style. And I know they really can't do this just yet, but back in the day, before there was a Sunday Night Heat, when you had to order things on pay-per-view and you had to go to the cable place and get a special box that enabled you to watch the show and then you had to take the box back, or in my case, my father had to take the box back that Monday, there would be a 30-minute countdown show before the pay-per-view started with a clock at the bottom that was counting down to zero. And that whole joint would just be advertising what you were about to see. They would show clips from the matches, not like with all the video pre-production stuff, they would show you two, three minutes from stuff legitimately from TV that led to what was happening in all these matches. I would rather you sell me on the main card than waste my time with bogus nothingness and inflatables and crap like that. That's totally unnecessary because they have way too much talent to waste. I'm not even saying you have space. to, you have to do that kind of thing. Like that, like I said, that triple threat tag team match was a, a heck of an opener. And then just do three matches like that where you have guys that, you know, maybe the, the crowd doesn't necessarily know, but you know can go out there and put on a show. Like like a guy like Jungle Boy. Mm-hmm. Like I know Jungle Boy was on the main card, and I, I think they're going to probably end up doing something with him. Yeah. But, like, that's that's a guy, like I'd throw him out there on a pre-show, give him 8 to 10, give him, you know, 12 minutes with somebody, just go let him tear the house down. Like, I don't need the CEO of some gaming company, you know, doing bumps on a political candidate button. But the main card itself, from top to bottom, basically pretty solid. Like, there's no match of the year candidate on this show or anything like Mm -hmm. that, but there was pretty solid performances all night. Like, once you sort of, like, again, this wasn't a pay-per-view. You didn't have to pay anything for this. All you had to do was be on Bleacher Report Live, which is a free account. Once you kind of lower the expectations a little bit from that and realize that this wasn't going to be a show that they were just going to go super all out on, like the, uh, you know, the stories of this show weren't necessarily going to have a lot of consequences down the road, then it was a pretty solid show. Um, As we mentioned earlier in the show, there were some not great things about this main card as well. Uh, probably the biggest discussion point on Twitter last night was the unprotected chair shot uh, that Cody Rhodes took from Sean Spears. Um, the Young Bucks and Tony Khan both after the show said that the chair was gimmicked. Yep. But Cody did not get hit by the seat of the chair. If you go watch the video, you go look at the still photos, Cody turns his head to the right, and Sean Spears... Hits him in the back, like he hits 
He gets hit in the face, the side of the face with the seat of the chair, but the backrest hits him in the back of the head. And it was an immediate, you know, busted open situation. He's bleeding all over the place. I think he needed 12 staples last night. And it's just, in 2019, man, it's not a good look. It's just, it's just not a good look. And I saw some people on Twitter last night saying, like, invoking uh, the rock and mankind and basically saying, anyone who's complaining about this obviously wasn't a wrestling fan back then. No, we were. We were. Yeah, but we also let's don't be honest. go back and watch that match anymore because we can't. We enjoyed it at the time. It's torture porn. We enjoyed it at the time. Absolutely. But we also know way, way more about head injuries than we did back then. I mean, as this was described to me, because I wasn't able to watch the show last night, this happened in Hendersonville, North Carolina, at a show that I was at, where there was a gimmicked chair, but the seat back clipped the guy in the back of the head. And guess what happened to him? He was taken to the emergency room, nearly died from blood loss. These things are not to be trifled with. And the other problem is, because we know wrestling is fictitious, because they've made it so abundantly clear at this point, the risk ain't worth it because we don't buy it anyway. It's not like we think you're tough because you took a chair shot to the head. We just think you're dumb. And speaking of dumb, on a night that featured Joey Janela being slammed barefoot Ugh. into a bunch of thumbtacks, Brilliant. Where John Moxley literally took off his boots before he did it. The dumbest spot of the night. Darby Allen. Yeah, you showed me this. In that match against Cody Rhodes. Going to the top rope and just trust falling. Just throwing himself backwards off the top rope onto the apron. That's got to be the dumbest spot I've seen all year. That or Dakota Ibushi, Naito's yeah, that, spot. that one's really bad. Yeah. Okay, second dumbest <laughs> spot I've seen this year. Both of them similar in terms of the bump that was taken. Exactly. So one was on the neck and on the side of the head, and the other one was at the back. The trust fall is kind of dumb anyway because the point of a trust fall is to be caught. And if you're just falling backwards, then what exactly are you doing? But I guess the same thing can be said for a somersault plancha because – once you're in the air, there's not much that you can do about it. I mean, to be honest, everything we saw yes. in that unsanctioned match between Moxley and, and, and Janela was probably safer than that spot, and they yeah. did some crazy stuff. So we'll see what happens with Heyman this week. We'll see what happens with Bischoff. We'll see what's going to happen here. It'll be interesting, and we'll talk about it next week. The coach is next. Big Orange Sunday here on 104.5 The Zone.